0: I, I love your pastors i don't know i might love them more than you do i love the grove how many of you love the grove all right oh, that's awesome um what a great five years that it's been so i'm doing this just so i can see you for a minute how many of you have been here for all five years of the grove a few of you how many of you have been here four years how many of you, this is your very first week? Is it, is there anyone? Alright! We got, how awesome is that? We got first week, five years. I was here on the very first Sunday, uh, of the Grove. And what a Sunday that was. And I love getting to come back. My family and I, Just really, we enjoy getting to come and spend a weekend in Santa Fe. Um, one of the reasons is we love the food in Santa Fe. Does anyone else love the food in Santa Fe? Oh my goodness. It is, there's always some new place to try and we love coming. We love the weather in Santa Fe. It's 10 degrees cooler here and it's just beautiful. Anyone love your city? Do you guys love your city? Man, what a great place. I, you know what I'm liking this morning? You're, you're participating and I'm a, I appreciate that. that that'll, that'll make this day a lot better. Uh, church is a participatory sport. That's what I tell my church. It, it's not a spectator sport. And so thank you for participating today. Today I'm going to talk about communion. And uh, I just kind of a starting point. How many of you uh, have been a part of a church before that participated in uh, communion, celebrated communion? How many of you? All right. whole bunch of you. So here's what I've learned. Depending on the church the denomination the uh, the schedule whatever there's communion can be done a lot of different ways um, my wife has a funny story she 'll be here in the next service but my wife has a funny story she was uh, seven or eight years old and she visited her grandparents at an episcopal church and uh, at this particular episcopal church they um, did not use grape juice they used actual wine and she was about seven or eight years old she never tasted wine. And so, when the cup, you know, when she drank the cup, she got a little surprise, and uh, she uh, she went home and was very concerned that she had drink drink alcohol for the first time uh, at church. That was a little bit confusing. I grew up as a I'm a pastor's kid. I'm actually third generation. My my grandfather's a pastor. My my parents are pastors. My brother's a pastor. I mean, it was, it's just a lot of us. And so, I'll just tell on myself. I grew up and uh, in the church, and on Sundays after communion, you would find me. And and my brother back in the church kitchen taking shots of leftover communion juice, all right? Um, I know, very inappropriate. I'm just trying to help you understand the kind of pastor that's talking to you today, all right? Um, I've, I've had some interesting experiences. On a missions trip one time, uh, I we did communion, and the entire church drank out of the same cup. How many of you are germaphobes, and you're grossed out by that, all right? So um, that was interesting. You were, I was on a missions trip, so just kind of had to go with it. Can I can I tell? You, is that alright if I tell you a funny? You want to hear a funny communion story? Any of you want to hear? Okay, so just a couple of weeks ago, um, I uh, I performed a wedding, and uh, this couple, I'll just say, they were barely they're barely Christians. All right, I mean, they're just they're coming maybe once a month, and but they wanted they really wanted to put Jesus first, so they they asked if they could do communion in the in the service. I said yes. They met with the DJ, they worked out all the musical selections, you know, and so we're in the wedding. It's beautiful. It's outdoors. It's just awesome, and uh, we we get to the communion time, and we kind of move to the side to this little table and it's real intimate. It's just the bride and the groom and myself and everyone's watching and the DJ puts the music on that the couple requested. Okay. But we're just, we're just in this moment. I'm like, guys, I'm so proud of you. You're putting Jesus first. This is so special. The music's playing. I have no idea what's going on. I'm right here. I'm talking to them. I lead them in communion. It's beautiful. I'm like, this is so cool. They're putting Jesus first. And then we go and on and and the wedding ends and my wife comes to me. She says, What in the world was the music that was playing during communion? And I'm like, I don't know. I had nothing to do with that. That was all them. And so I go and I find out, and I'm going to just read you some of the lyrics, okay? This is what was playing while we're taking communion. It says, Girl, I know you know it's coming. There ain't no running from it. Your eyes can't lie. Yeah, we held out way too long, but we can't hold it off. Tonight's the night. It's so easy to slip out of touch. Girl, that's it. I've had enough. I know you want me to leave you, so tonight I'm leaving you breathless. What in the world? How crazy is that, right? Pastor fail moment, all right? I just, oh my goodness. So from now on, um, I check with the DJ before the wedding, all right? So... We're going to talk about communion today, and I'm excited um, because one of the things I like to do before I come to the Grove is I kind of I personally look back over my last few months, my last year, and I ask myself, you know, what what's happened in my life that's been transformational in, in my spiritual life? What have I learned? What has Christ been doing in me? And for me, I, I learned some things this last year about communion that have been transformational. So, for me, my my issue, if I could call it that, with communion is that growing up, it just kind of it felt like an add-on. I mean, it was just something like, let's just add it to this service, let's add it here. For me, it really just became juice and crackers is what it became. It was like, let's just, you know, let's get through it, let's do it. Jesus said we should do it, so let's add it on to a service, let's drink the juice, let's eat the crackers. But this year, I've, I've learned some things that I want to share with you that I think will well, it was transformational for me. I don't know what it'll do for you, but I, I hope that you enjoy, uh, today and learn something. To, so, to understand communion, you've gotta understand, uh, this word first. You have to understand the word covenant, alright? Covenant. Now, covenant is different than contract, but contract is the word that, that we most often use in our, in our culture today. How many of you have ever purchased something with that required a contract? You, maybe you bought a house or, or a car or you signed a, a an agreement a lease agreement right that that's a contract my wife and I uh, are getting ready to build a home we just closed on our lot this this last week before we closed on the lot we signed a contract and basically what the contract says is we will give you X amount of dollars for this land as long as everything is what it says it, it is so we ordered a survey and we did the inspections and we checked everything out and, and that's the idea of a con- contracts are if then right it's if this then that. If you do this, then I will do that. And here's the problem with contracts, and Americans have really discovered this, is that contracts have loopholes. How many of you have figured that out, right? Contracts, it's like, I mean, we Americans are masters at figuring out the loopholes. It's like, well, I can get out of it if I do this or if we do that. And that that's one of the big things that separates covenant from contract, is that covenant covenants don't have loopholes. Covenants are very different. They were very permanent. Permanent. And and in the Bible, this is the covenant was a really big deal. Covenant was important. In fact, what what they would have called it? I'm gonna I'm gonna is it all right if I teach you a few um, kind of big words today? Things I don't know if you've heard these words or not. Is it all right today? So covenant they would have called covenant in the Bible. This word they would have called it fictive kinship. Okay, fictive kinship. What fictive kinship means is I mean you know fictive is like it's not real kinship. If you say you know that's my kin that you're saying that's my family, so it's like I, the, the idea is, it's, it's like if, if I'm in covenant, I'm in a fictive kinship relationship. Meaning, you're not really my family, uh, but but you are. Right? It's like it's deep. It's it, it's it's important. It's a deep relationship. In fact, if you've ever heard the statement "blood is thicker than water," that's that's actually fictive kinship is where that statement comes from. Because what that statement really means is, look, we're not family, but the but the blood that was shed. I'll get to that in a minute. In a covenant, that there was He's blood shed in a covenant. The blood that was shed makes our bond thicker than the birth waters. That, that's really what that means. And so in the Bible, when it talks about covenant, you gotta understand covenant to understand communion. And, and this is the idea is fictive kinship. And there were two types of covenant in the Bible. And I just, I think it's important to know this stuff because when you know this, then when you come to the table and you're taking, you know, the juice and the crackers, you understand it's not just juice and crackers, but there's much more to that. And so in the Bible, there's these two types of covenant. The first type of covenant is called a parity covenant. Parity covenant is basically two e- equal parties make an agreement with one another. So easiest way to understand it would be one tribe, maybe they're, they're great farmers. Do I have any green thumbs in the room today? You can just grow, you can grow anything, right? So, so farming tribe, but they can't defend themselves, right? So if they're attacked, uh, you know they're out there trying to defend with rakes and hoes. I mean, they're not they're not very good. And then on the other side, you've got another tribe, and they're warriors. I mean, they've got swords and spears and bows and arrows, and they're warriors and they're strong and they do one arm pull ups and they're just amazing. And so what happens is the leaders of these two tribes would come together and say, "Hey, let's have a covenant with one another. We'll grow the fruits and vegetables. You guys protect us, and and, and we'll both." Be, we'll both be better for it. Do you understand? So they would refer to each other as brothers because because they were equals. It was was like it was like we're going to do this and you're going to do that, and we both we both get to get to be better because of that uh, relationship, that parity covenant. But the other type of covenant, this this is really important for us to understand. It's kind of a weird word, but it's called a suzerain covenant. Do you want to say that word this morning? Because it's kind of fun. Do you want to say suzerain? It's kind it's kind of fun. I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird word. Suzerain covenant two parties are not equal now there's a major party and a minor party so there's there's one that's more powerful than the other and, and the way that it would work is, is that the 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 suzerain that's why it's called a suzerain uh, covenant was the was the major party it was the suzerain king and the lesser party here's a fun another funny word you're going to learn funny words today at the grove the other funny word is, is the minor party is called a vassal all right so you've got the suzerain and the vassal and the suzerain he's the powerful king he's the most powerful king in the region he would go around i mean here's i'm just going to tell you how it would work he'd come to a tribe and he'd say hey i like your land and i want it so you have two options either we can come into a covenant with one another or i can kill you and take your land what what do you want to do right that was kind of how that worked And so the, the vassal, I mean, the, the leader of the minor tribe would, would say, well, of course, we don't want you to slaughter us and we don't want to die. So we're going to make a covenant with you. And so that, that's how it would work. And the idea was this. The suzerain had a whole bunch of covenants and that's how he grew his kingdom. His king, he, he was always growing and, and getting more land and more crops and more flocks and more. That's how he did this. But a vassal could only have one suzerain covenant. If you as a vassal, if you wanted more covenants, then that would be called that would be treason, that'd be treacherous. And it was punishable by death. And so this is the culture of the of the of the Bible when we're reading about and we read about the covenants. And and I I need you to understand there's four elements in a covenant that I mean, every covenant, when you see a covenant in the Bible, and I'm going to show you one or two. But every time you see a covenant, there's four things that always existed. The first one was there was Always oaths or promises. So they make promises to one another. It's like, you know, I'm going to give you my food. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you my land. I'm going to give you my flocks. Whatever. I mean, they, they, there were these promises that were made to one another. The other thing is there were always sacrifices involved. Now, I know that, um, this, I know the Old Testament especially can, it's kind of a, a, a fun book to read. It's a little bit odd to read at times, but, but this is, this is how it works. Is they go and they take an animal when they're gonna make a covenant and they take that animal, they kill the animal. And they would literally cut the animal in half. And I'm sorry, animal lovers. This is just what would happen. They cut the animal in half and they'd build two altars and they'd put half the animal on one altar and half the animal on the other altar. And this was the process of making the covenant is that the vassal, so the minor party would walk between the sacrifices. And while he's walking between the sacrifices, he's repeating the oaths that are being made between he and his tribe and the suzerain. And his kingdom. And so he'd walk between the 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 sacrifices and and he would call out, you know, we're going to give you our land and we're going to give you uh, our our allegiance and we're going to give you, you know, our our sheep and we're going to give you. And then here is the here's the crazy part is while the reason he's walking between the sacrifice is once he made all of these oaths, he would say this. He'd say something like this. And if I break my covenant with you, suzerain, may it be unto me. Like this cow that's laying here on the altar in other words If I break my promise to you if I break my oath You can come and cut me up into pieces just like I have this cow It's kind of gross, right? You can count, I mean, how many of you know if we if we signed mortgages like this today We wouldn't default on them, right? Like all right, i'm gonna make my payment if not you come cut me into pieces I mean you, you'd be a little more motivated right to pay that payment every month and so they're walking through the, 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 the sacrifice and they're calling out these oaths and they're, and, and, and if you could, if you were like looking from the, from an, a bird's eye view of what's happening, what you would see is that the, the vassal is actually walking in a, in a sideways figure eight pattern between these two sacrifices, which is the symbol that we now have come to know as the symbol for what eternity, right? Or forever. In other words, this was a really big deal. When you came into covenant with someone, it wasn't, well, I'll do this as long as I feel like it. I mean, that's the kind of commitments we make today. It wasn't a feel-good commitment. It was like, I'm going to do this, and it's a forever agreement, and it's punishable by death. And I mean, this was a really, really big deal. And so they make these sacrifices and the other things. So they had oaths, and they had sacrifices, and then they always had witnesses. So they'd say, hey, I'd say, I'm the vassal. I'd go, hey, Dickinson tribe, y'all come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be going into covenant with the suzerain over here. And y'all need to listen. You're my witnesses. You need to know the oaths that I'm making, because the oaths I'm making are the oaths that you're gonna have to live by. And so they'd have witnesses that are listening in as this covenant is being made. And then finally, what they would do is in all of this is done, they'd write all the oaths on two scrolls, one for the suzerain, one for the vassal. They'd write them all down. They'd roll them up so they could take them home with them, put them in their own city, in their own temple so they could remember them. And then they would do this. They would have a covenant meal. And you're gonna, you're gonna start seeing now, if you're, if you're familiar at all with communion, you're gonna start seeing some of how this starts to tie in with how we do communion. Cause they'd have a, they'd have a big meal. They'd barbecue. They'd have ribs like we had at the party last night watching the UFC fight, you know, and they'd bring in, you know, Doritos and queso. I don't know. I don't know what they had. They had food. they bring in all this food. But they always had, no matter what they had at the covenant meal, they always had two things. They always had bread and wine. They always had bread. And wine. And at some point in the covenant meal, they take the, the bread and they take the wine and they would review the oaths that were made in the covenant. In other words, they would remember the oaths that were made during the covenant. They'd remember. That's important because Jesus, here's what he said when he's at the, at, the, at the Last Supper, we call it, and he's having bread and wine with his disciples. He says, Do this. Until I come back, do this in remembrance, remember the promises until I return. And so they'd be at this covenant meal and they'd they'd drink the wine and they'd eat the bread and they'd remember the promises. And then once a year they'd come back. They'd go to their cities, and they'd live their lives, and they'd come back once a year and they'd, they'd bring their scroll back and they'd have another, another meal, a covenant meal, and they'd remember it again. They'd drink the wine and they'd eat the bread and they'd, they'd rehearse these, these promises that were made. So this is, this is what happens. This is a covenant. So now, if you go to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, God is talking to a guy named Abram, who later becomes Abraham, and God makes an oath or a promise to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of kids. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of land. You're going to be the father of nations. I mean, this is a big promise to Abram, and this is Genesis chapter 12. Well, years go by, and Abram's still not a dad. I mean, they still haven't had a kid. Years go by, he's still doesn't have land. I mean, and he begins to wonder, have you ever wondered about a promise of God? I have. He begins to wonder about the promise that God, so he goes back to God. And he says, hey, what gives? I thought you said I was going to be the father of a nation. I mean, what? I don't even have one kid yet. I mean, how can I father nations if I don't even have one kid? And God's response is so interesting because Genesis chapter 15. Now, God says to Abram, here's his response. He says, Abram, I want you to go, and I want you to get a heifer, and I want you to get a pigeon, and I want you to get a ram, and I want, and he gives them, it's like a shopping list of animals, right? Which, I mean, if that happened today, if you, I mean, imagine if you were praying and, and God's response was, hey, go get a whole bunch of animals together. I mean, be like, you know, Abram's like, right, am I starting a zoo? I mean, what's going on here, right? And so he goes, but he knows, he knows the culture. He goes and he gets all of these animals together. And he knows that what's about to happen is that God's about to make a covenant with Abram. In other words, he's he's going to seal this promise that he's made. And so Abram goes and he gets the animals and he does exactly all the things I just told you about. He takes them, he builds two altars, he takes the animals, he, he cuts them in half, he puts them on, on each side of the altar. And they're getting ready to review the promises of the oath and something I mean just crazy happens because in this case God is the suzerain and Abram is the vassal in other words Abram's the minor party right cuz he I mean he's making promises with the king of kings right with the god of the universe he's about to to make this covenant and and so Abram should be the one that walks through the sacrifices and makes these promises but God does something so unique he doesn't let Abram do it he puts Abram in a trance and Abram's watching. I mean, he, he's he's frozen. He's stuck. He can't move. But he's watching as the events unfold before him. And it tells us there in Genesis it says that God actually comes down into the middle of this experience in two forms. He comes he comes like smoke and like a fire in these two forms, which which is symbolism for the Holy Spirit and and Jesus, the light of the world. And they come in, and all of a sudden the smoke and the fire begin to interact, and they begin to move between the sacrifices as this promise is made to Abram. I'm going to make you the father of nations. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless people through you. All of of these promises are being made. But the crazy thing is, instead of the minor party being the one that walks through the sacrifice, God himself is doing this. And you know that the end of this process is that whoever's walking through the sacrifice says this, says, and if this promise is broken, may it be unto me as it is this sacrifice. And if you know, if you know the story of Jesus, and I'll just tell you in case you don't, if you know the story of Jesus, here's why that happened, is that God knew that Abram was not going to be able to keep his promise. He knew, in fact, if he could, he he looked into the future and he looked into 2019 and he saw a group of people that are going to call themselves the Grove in Santa Fe. And he's like, they're not going to be able to keep their promise either. And he looked, I mean, all over the world, he's like, people aren't going to be able to, they're not going to be able to keep their promise. So here's the deal with a a covenant is if it's broken, there has to be, there has to be a penalty. There has to be a, a, a payment for that. And so God knew, He said, there's no way that, there's no way that this payment's gonna be able to be made. Abram's not gonna make it. David won't be able to make it. Moses won't be able to make it. Pastor Eric won't be able to make it. Pastor Jason won't be able to make it. I mean, no, they're not gonna be able to. So, I mean, the craziest thing happens because not only is this incredible promise made, but God says, look, if, if this is broken, I will pay the payment. And the story is this. The story is that we did break, we did break that covenant. I mean, it says that we're born into, we have this sin nature. We're born into it. We can't help ourselves, right? And then God says, well, I'll make a way. I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll send my son. I'll send Jesus and he'll, he'll pay. He'll be the sacrifice. He'll be the one that pays for this broken covenant between man and God. And now we get to communion cuz now Jesus is at what we know as the last supper he's sitting with his disciples and they're they he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's holding in his hand a, a cup of wine and a piece of bread and they're ha- I mean all of a sudden you see the the symbolism in this covenant meal that's about to take place and he looks at his disciples in Luke chapter 22 and he says it took the bread he gave thanks he broke it and he gives it to them and he says to them this cup is my body given To you, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, remember the promise that was made. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup. Here's the word of the new covenant covenant. In other words, I mean, he's saying, guys, this is a really big deal. I'm making a promise to you. I mean, and you just need to know this because I think sometimes the promise that we preach in church is that the promise is that you are saved from your sin. And and how many of you know that's a pretty fantastic promise, right? I mean, the idea that, that we can have a hope and a future and that there there is payment for, for sin available and we don't have to, to undergo that. But can I just tell you, there is more to the promise than just salvation from sin. I mean, as awesome as that is, here's the promise I like. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, I have come that you may have life, but not just like living life, not just making it, not just surviving life. He says, I have come that you may have life to the full. That's the, that's good news, right? That's the good news. He says, look, I'm going to save you. I mean, he's looking into the future and saying, I'm going to rescue you. But also while you're here on this earth, I want to bless you. I want you to be healed. I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to enjoy the work of your hand. I want you to have money to pay your bills. I want you to be blessed because I love you. That that's some good news. And Jesus knew God knew he said I'm going to have to send my son. I'm going to so so he makes his covenant with Abram. And now Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, here's the bread, here's the wine, do this and remember. Just remember the promises that were made, the covenant that was made between you and I. And let me just show you one more thing and then we're actually going to do communion today. We're going to we're going to celebrate what God did for us. But let me show you one more thing cuz in 1 Corinthians chapter Uh, 11 there's a church in a city of corinth and and uh man they're they're doing some things really really bad i mean really wrong and uh and the apostle paul writes to them and he actually says to them he says in in these matters i have no praise for you uh, because you're actually causing more harm than good. So I just want to point this. He's writing to a church and he's saying, you know, it'd be like, hey Grove, when you meet on Sundays at Regal Theater, you're actually doing more harm in the city of Santa Fe than you are good. I mean, that would break your hearts, right? This is the letter that's written to to, to the to church in Corinth by the apostle Paul, and he goes on to explain to them how this is happening, and I'll just focus on one area because I want I want you to see this because this helps us see the two parts of why communion is so important. He says uh, He says you're guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and here's how you're guilty of that. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, that's the. for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, here's what he's saying there. He's not talking about the physical, literal body, the arms and legs of Jesus. In the next chapter, in chapter 12, he talks about the body, and he says to the church then, and I'll say it to you today, Grove, you are the body of Christ. Every one of you have a role to play. It's, it's this illustration that, you know, you're, some of you are legs and some of you are toes and some one of you is a spleen and one of you is a kidney and I mean, you're, some of you, you're the parts we don't even know what you do yet, but we're gonna figure it out. You know, you're, you're the fingers and some of your hair follicles. You are the body of Christ. Which just, as a side note, that's why it's so important that all of you come to Serve Day. Is because you have a gift that the person next to you doesn't have, that the person in front of you doesn't have. And for the body of Christ that's called the Grove to be effective in Santa Fe, we need your gift and your gift and your gift and your gift. And you put all of it together and all of a sudden the church begins to function in a healthy way. And guess what happens? Santa Fe flourishes. And that's your heart, right? And Paul says to the church there, he says, you're not discerning the body. In other words you're not taking care of one another. There's disunity, there's hatred, there's racism, there's, there, there's unfinished business, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe it doesn't happen in Santa Fe. Maybe it only happens in Albuquerque. But, but I'm just telling you, in Albuquerque, I know some Christians who come to church and lift their hands and worship and give them the offering and show up to serve day, but they still have unforgiveness in their hearts. I, I don't know if that happens in Santa Fe. But Paul says this, he says, when you, when you take the cup and you eat the bread, when you, when you do this, before you do it, you need to look at your heart. You need to discern, am I mad at the toe? Am I mad at, you know, the person who, who did this to me? Am I, am I, is there something? Do I, do I have hatred? Am I Do I, is there something in my heart that I need to deal with? He said, I mean, it's so important. God, here, here's what I'm trying to show you. When we take communion, we get this part right most of the time, is it brings unity between us and God. That Because why? We're holding the cup, we're holding the bread, and we're remembering the, the price that was paid for our salvation, hope, freedom, right? Here's the part that we often miss, is it's not just about unity between us and God. It's also meant to bring unity between us and each other. I'm telling you, we're doing it wrong if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts for unforgiveness as we hold the price that was paid, not just for our freedom, but for the freedom for every single person in the planet. I mean, how presumptuous of, it, of us is it for us to not forgive our neighbor or our sister or our brother or our spouse or whoever it is that hurt us when Jesus has already forgiven them? And so we have this command that before we come to the table, we're to discern, we're to search our hearts and to allow the Spirit of God to work in us so that it's unity vertically as well as unity horizontally. I'll tell you one story and if the worship team can come, we're actually going to get ready to uh, to have communion this morning. I'll just tell you one story. I, I, I've been preaching this message at our church this year, and uh, we we've, we we've just made. I mean, we're just like we're serious. Like, do not come to the table. Do not take communion if if there's something going on, you know, in your marriage, in your heart, and your wherever. Right? Like, do what you need to do. So we have prayer partners at the side, and we ask people go and go to the prayer partners. Forgiveness is hard. Go get some help. Pray. You know, get some accountability there and then come to the table. And so k- about two months ago, we, I preached this and we did communion and there was a couple that I'd been counseling and I knew they were having a lot of marriage tr- trouble and she was there that day and he wasn't there and I'm like, oh man, this is not good. Well, I, what I didn't know is that he was working, he's a contractor and he had a job actually here in Santa Fe and that Sunday he was here working on the job. And so we, we talk about how communion is to bring unity between not just us. And God but also us and each other and his spouse is sitting there and she's convicted by the Holy Spirit and she goes and she says to her who, you know the prayer partner I need you to help me I need you to pray for me my husband and I we need to, we need to come into unity we've been fighting and it's and we need to we need to get we need to get this right and so they prayed and she went to the table and she took communion and I just love this because she leaves she leaves church and she drives to the grocery store. And she buys a little bottle of grape juice and a little, bo- little box of saltine crackers. And she gets in her car, and she drives to Santa Fe, and she goes to his job site. And I'm sure I was a bit of a surprise. He's like, oh, what are you doing here? You know, she's like, come out to the car with me. And they go out, and they go out to the car, and she gets out. Like, Can you just picture? It's such a cool picture. On the hood of the car, she sets out a little thing of juice and a little package of crackers, and they take hands there in the parking lot and she says she says here's what happened in church today and we got to we got to make this work we got to figure this out and i forgive you and i'm asking you to forgive me and i'm asking you because of what christ did for us can we can we figure out how to live in unity and how to live in that flourishing relationship that we know God wanted us to have. And they're just standing there in a parking lot somewhere in Santa Fe and they're, they're drinking the cup of grape juice and they're eating a salting cracker. And you just got to remember what I said in the beginning. For me, communion, all it had become was juice and crackers. And I'm just telling you, on that construction site that day, it was not just juice and crackers. There was a power that was unleashed into this couple's life as they remembered the power that was unleashed into this world when Jesus went to the cross and he paid the ultimate price. And he said, you know what? They're going to break the covenant, but I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the sin and I'll pay for the pain and I'll take the weight of it on me. And because of that, they don't have to worry. They don't have to have fear. They don't have to to live in brokenness. They don't have to have screwed up relationships. Relationships. They don't have to have, you know, just halfway done marriages. Like they can flourish because I will pay the price. And that day, that couple, I'm t- they tapped into that. As they sat there and they prayed together and they held hands in a parking lot. And they, you know what happened? They made promises to one another again. They remember you know what happened. They remembered the promise that God made to them. And they made promises one to another. That's what communion is supposed to do. Is it brings us in unity with God, but also in unity one with another? Um, Your hospitality team, I don't know what you call them, but your hospitality team has uh, some cups and they're going to begin to pass those out. And uh, if you will, they've got little buckets and they're just going to pass the buckets just like they do for offering. And inside there's a little cup and and on the top of it's a little wafer. It's just kind of a all-in-one deal. As that, as that comes by, would you do me a favor? If you want to participate with us, by the way, you don't have to. You don't, you don't have to. There's no pressure. In fact, it's, the lights are blinding me so much that I won't be able to even tell if you take a cup or not. But I'd love for you to. I'd love for you to do this because I really think something supernatural is going to happen in this atmosphere today as we rehearse the promises that God has made to His people, and specifically, not just this to people, to you and me, as we remember these promises. I, I just I believe that today, people are going to make decisions to follow Jesus. I think people are going to make decisions to forgive. I think I think people can be healed today as we take the cup and we eat the bread and we remember that the price that was paid wasn't just for our for our forgiveness, but it was so that we could be made whole. Isaiah says it this way, it says, by his stripes we are healed. <laughs> you know, if you know the story when Jesus went to the cross, I mean, he, he was beaten and broken and pierced and, I mean, the crown of thorns in his head and whipped and, I mean, he was, he was brutally, brutally murdered as a payment. You gotta make it personal today for your sin and for my sin. But today we get to come to the table in this this covenant meal, and we get to remember. I'm just telling you, something special is going to happen today. Does that, Does everyone have Does everyone have a cup now this morning? Did we miss anyone? Why don't you stand with me, right where you're at? Just stand with me. You've been sitting for a while. And you have these comfortable theater chairs, and I don't I don't want you to just I don't want you to miss this because. Because it's so important. So if you will, you open the the very top of that. And there's a little little wafer in there. If you'll if you'll take that wafer out, I'm just hold in your hand for just a moment. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lead you in a moment so we can we can remember, we can reflect. The the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken on your behalf. <laughs> you, you know what I've noticed in church. It's often easier for us to remember the price that was paid for the other person than it was for us. (laughs) Will you just, will you take a minute? I'm not here to guilt you, I promise you. I want you to do this because it will set you free. Will you take a moment to remember how bad you are? (laughs) Like, how messed up you are without the grace of God? Will you just... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the kind of person you were. I'll just tell you, without Christ, I am a liar and a cheater. I am a thief. I am up to no good. I am all, I'm selfish. I am prideful. I mean, I'm just, I'm like, I know who I am without the, would you just, would you just remember as you hold that bread for just a second, would you remember the, who you are without Christ? And in fact, I want to give a, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Why don't you, as you're remembering, would you just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment? And I want to give I wanna give someone a chance today that that as we talk about the price that was paid, maybe you've never made a decision To surrender your life to Christ, to follow Jesus. And today, the best news ever is this, is no matter who, when you're thinking about the kind of person that you are, no matter who you are, you are never so far gone that Christ doesn't love you and that he will not make a way so that you can have that life everlasting, but also life to the full here on this earth. In fact, I'd like to pray with you, if if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jason, i I want to follow Jesus. I need forgiveness for my sins and I I I want to pray a prayer today. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a prayer that says, says, "Jesus, I need you in my life." If you're here today and you say, "I need to pray that prayer today," would you just would you raise your hand? No one else is looking around. I just want to know. Thank you. Thank you up in the balcony. Thank you so many of us. It's amazing as you hold the bread and you hold the cup. It's amazing how how you remember <laughs> how desperately we need christ in our life so father as we hold the bread we thank you that you went to the cross and your body was beaten and broken on our behalf and would you just would you just say these words whether you raised your hand or you didn't let's just do it together would you just say today would you say jesus i need a savior today i recognize my sin and i ask for forgiveness And I know payment has to be made. I'm so thankful that your son, Jesus, went to the cross to pay for my sin. And I accept that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread right now as you remember the promise that was made? Thank you, Lord. And if you haven't, you can open the second layer there, We'll open the, the juice there. And that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And Isaiah 41 says that it's by his stripes they were healed. And as, as you hold the cup this morning, I just want to pray. Uh, I want to pray a prayer of healing over you. Is there is there anyone here today that you need heal healed in your physical body today? Would you would you show me you need healing in your body? By the way, I I don't know who it might be. I felt during worship I felt that someone was going to be healed of something going on in it's like a shoulder or an arm, some some kind of maybe an old injury or something. I don't know. Just felt a prompting in my spirit. I I feel like as we as we remember today the blood of Christ that was shed for us, I I believe healing is going to flow into your life today. Can can I? ask you a question though today? Can I ask you? You don't have to show me. It's more internal. Don't finish this moment if there's unfinished business in your heart. Some of you today need to make a decision like my friend did to forgive. I mean, I don't know what kind of conversation you need to have today or this week. I don't know who you need to call. I don't know what you need to do. But I'm telling you, this moment is as much about you getting unity with God as it is about you getting unity within with the body of Christ, with the friends and neighbors and coworkers and, and husbands and wives and children And so I'm going to pray a prayer, two prayers. I'm going to pray a prayer of healing over your body. And I'm going to pray a prayer of unity that you would would forgive. And then we're going to take the juice today and then Pastor Eric's going to come. So, Father... I pray right now that as we hold the cup that represents the blood that was shed for our forgiveness, for our healing, Lord, that, that we could be made whole. God, I pray right now for friends in this room, several raise their hands that need healing in their body. I pray right now that you would bring healing. I pray for that shoulder, that arm. Lord, that I pray your healing would flow right now that's available because of what you accomplished on the cross. Lord, I pray for those today harboring unforgiveness. I pray for marriages that are in trouble. Lord, I pray for friendships that are broken, for relationships that are broken. Lord, As we hold the cup, we are holding the answer to that problem here in this earth. And so today, some of us, we choose to forgive. As hard as it is, we say today, I'm gonna forgive because I've been forgiven. Because of what you did for me, I will not withhold from my, from my husband, my spouse, my friend, my, I'm gonna, I'm gonna release forgiveness today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that over to you. Lord, I trust in you today. And Lord, I'm praying that today you would set some free. that bondage of unforgiveness, that you would set us free today. Lord, we thank you for the blood that was shed for our forgiveness, and we receive that today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Would you take the cup this morning?